Jai Jai Sitchitan Jaya Nichananda Jaya Deita Chanjaya Gora Bhaktivinoda Hare Krishna. So today we discuss, we're continuing with the Madhya Lila, Chaitanya Charitamrita Madhya Lila, Chapter 6, with the uh, pastimes of, uh, of Lord Chaitanya in Jagannath Puri and his first meeting with uh, Sarvabhama Bhattacharya. Uh, remember, Lord Chaitanya came in the temple of Lord Jagannath, was very ecstatic, and he saw Lord Jagannath. He saw Krishna himself on the altar, wanted to embrace him. Uh, and, but then, next moment, fell unconscious. And uh, only many hours later, woke up in the house of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya. The Chaitanya Bhagavat is explaining how the guards were really upset when suddenly this person tried to jump on the altar, tried to embrace the deities, and the guards, they were raising their sticks. But Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, who was the spiritual master of the king, he interfered. So the guards, they stepped back and stood at a distance, and then... Sarvabhama Bhattacharya was checking out the situation with uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, if he was alive for this, that, found with a cotton swab under his nostril that there was some, some life. And then subsequently, um, Sarvabhama Bhattacharya engaged the guards in carrying the deity, uh, so much noise outside, in carrying Lord Chaitanya. And as they were carrying Lord Chaitanya, uh, the guards carried him on their hands and the crowd outside wanted to help carry Lord Chaitanya. says, so just like a grain of sugar is carried by, by ends, Lord Chaitanya was just moving along the hands. Anyway, he was carried to the house of... Uh... Okay, just one minute, there's some... Guy with a big loudspeaker driving past. <laughs> okay. It looks like he wants to buy some old junk, something, the old iron. Anyway, back to the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So, in the house, uh, the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, they had fallen behind uh, on the journey to Puri because the last bit, once Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saw the chakra, he just ran forward so fast that the uh, devotees came later. And then they came to the house of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya and, uh, and chanted Hare Krishna. In the due course of time, the Lord regained his senses. Um, meanwhile, there are a few discussions or a few topics in the chapter. So besides the story of how Lord Chaitanya comes to the chapter, 
Then there's a discussion between Gopinathacharya and Sarvabhaumabhadracharya. We discussed it yesterday. And there Gopinathacharya is entering into an argument about uh, Lord Chaitanya being the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And, uh, and Sarvabhaumabhadracharya is saying no, but the uh, Vishnu Sahasranam is establishing that there is three Yugi Narayan. There's only uh, three incarnations. Uh, there's only incarnations in three Yugas. And uh, so how, how can this be? But then uh, the uh, Bhagavatam uh, is, oh, one second. The Bhagavatam is dealing with that. Going to open that up really quick. Seven, nine, boom, thirty-eight, and it is a verse. Oh, spoken by Pallad Maharaj. And. Um, Itam nitir yagrisi deva jazavatarer lokan vibhavayasi hansi jagat pratipan dharmam mahapurusapasi yugan vrittam chana kalo yad abhavastri yugo tasatum. In this way, my Lord, you appear in various incarnations as a human being, an animal, a great saint, a demigod, a fish, a tortoise, thus maintaining the entire creation in different planetary systems and killing the demoniac principles. According to the age, O oh my Lord, you protect the principles of religion. In the age of Kali, however, you do not assert yourself as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and therefore you are known as Triyuga, or the Lord who appears in three yugas. Yes, so the Lord does, he is the chana. He is, he appears in a covered incarnation. And that is the point. Huh? The chana avatar. Mm. So, um, and then, Gopinath Acharya explained how Gargamuni had described previously, you have appeared in these, uh, in different yugas in, in four different colors. Uh, and also the golden avatars there. Then there's the, then Gopinath Acharya quoted the Mahabharat, Suvarna Varna He Mango, that the Lord appeared in a golden form. And also as a sannyasi, and then he also quoted Bhagavatam 11.5.32, Krishna Varnam, Trisa Krishnam, Sangopangasta Parasadam. And by quoting these verses, Gopinath Acharya uh, established, gave evidence that, that the Lord does appear in the age of Kali and that he appears in a golden features as a sannyasi. And so clearly indicating Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The, uh, then the entire narration continues and uh, there's in the Chaitanya Bhagavat there's a lengthy discussion between uh, 
Sarvambhavambhattacharya and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu takes a very humble position. He takes the position, I am, uh, I am not very qualified. I am not, not learned. Uh, Sarvambhavambhattacharya was saying, you know, although you are, uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had expressed that ultimately, um, ultimately the goal of life is to, and of all the scriptures, is to worship Krishna. And, uh, and Sarvambhavambhattacharya uh, then entered into a discussion about why he took sannyas. He said, like, what is the point of, of taking sannyas? Uh, at such a young age, you should not have taken sannyas. And, uh, and there's a whole discussion about taking sannyas. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, yes, I only took sannyas because I was overwhelmed with separation. But I actually, you know, I, I actually am not qualified. And then... Uh, and therefore, I'm turning to you, and you, you are so learned. You please enlighten me. Uh, and then uh, in, in Chaitanya Bhagavat, there's a discussion uh, on the Atmaram verse. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's a lot more. Uh, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita uh, is the story of Lord Chaitanya hearing the explanation on the Vedanta Sutra from Sarvabhama Bhattacharya. And this explanation goes on for seven days. And uh, that's where we'll start reading a little bit. Just a moment. Huh? The next morning, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, this is uh, text 118, Madhya Lila 6, 118. The next morning, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Sarvabhama Bhattacharya together visited the temple of Lord Jagannath. Both of them were in a very pleasant mood. When they entered the temple, Sarvabhama Bhattacharya offered Chaitanya Mahaprabhu a seat while he himself sat down on the floor out of due respect for his sannyasi. He then began to instruct Lord Chaitanya in Vedanta philosophy, and out of affection and devotion, he spoke to the Lord as follows. The Bhattacharya said, hearing Vedanta philosophy is the sannyasi's main business. Therefore, without hesitation, you should study Vedanta philosophy, hearing it without cessation from a superior person. Lord Chaitanya replied, you are very merciful to me, and therefore I think it is my duty to obey your order. For seven days continuously, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu listened to the Vedanta philosophy expounded by Sarvabhom Bhattacharya. However, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did not say anything and did not indicate whether it was right or wrong. He simply sat there and listened to the Bhattacharya. On the eighth day, Sarvabhom Bhattacharya said to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, You've been listening to Vedanta philosophy from me for seven days. You've simply been listening 
fixed in your silence. Since you do not say whether you think it is right or wrong, I cannot know whether you are actually understanding Vedanta philosophy or not. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu replied, I am a fool and consequently I do not study the Vedanta Sutra. I'm just trying to hear it from you because you've ordered me. Only for the sake of executing the duties of the renounced order of sannyas do I listen. Unfortunately, I cannot in the least understand the meaning you are presenting. Sarvabhama Bhattacharya replied, I accept that you do not understand. Yet even one who doesn't understand inquires about the subject matter. You are hearing again and again, yet you keep silent. I cannot understand what is actually within your mind. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then revealed his mind, saying, I can understand the meaning of each sutra very clearly, but your explanations have simply agitated my mind. The meaning of the aphorisms in the Vedanta Sutra contain clear purports in themselves, but other purports you presented simply covered the meaning of the sutras like a cloud. You do not explain the direct meaning of the Brahma Sutras. Indeed, it appears that your business is to cover their real meaning. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu continued, the Vedanta Sutra is the summary of all the Upanishads. Therefore, whatever direct meaning is there in the Upanishads is also recorded in the Vedanta Sutra or Vyasa Sutra. For each Sutra, the direct meaning must be accepted without interpretation. However, simply abandon the direct meaning and proceed with your imaginative interpretation. Although there is other evidence, the evidence given in the Vedic version must be taken as foremost. Vedic versions understood directly are first-class evidence. Hmm. Uh, let me just quickly see. It's a little technical. All right. I'll just begin to explain. So, um, there was in the explanation of the Vedanta Sutra given by uh, Savabhom Bhattacharya, he was giving an explanation based on interpretation of the text. He was not actually giving a direct uh, a direct explanation of the text. He used Sankaracharya's commentary, Sarirakabhasya. And it said the principle is that this commentary is based on gonavriti. There are two types of interpretation, mukhyavriti and gonavriti. Mukhyavriti means the direct interpretation of the text, and gonavriti is an indirect interpretation of the track of the text uh, a derived interpretation sometimes such a derived interpretation may be used if the direct in, uh, interpretation doesn't make sense for example if we say that uh, the house is on the ganges that doesn't make sense uh, and therefore what is implied here must be the house is on the bank. 
of the Ganges. So here the text requires some interpretation. But other texts are very clear and they are saying directly, just like Yamunatira Vanachari, this on, on, on the banks of the Yamuna, there is the forest dweller, uh, Krishna. So it's clear where it is. It is not, it is Yamuna Tire, it is on the banks. So now it was direct. Uh, so anyway, the direct meaning is the preferred meaning. And whenever there is a direct meaning of Vedic literature that can be given, then that direct meaning supersedes the, uh, the meaning that is given by, uh, by, the, uh, by the indirect commentary. Hmm. Only when no direct meaning can be given, may the indirect one be used. Um, So, Mukyarta Chadya Karagonarta Kalpana Abhidavritta Chadi Karasabdira Lakshana. For each sutra, the direct meaning must be accepted without interpretation. However, you simply abandon the direct meaning and proceed with your imaginative interpretation. Although there is other evidence, the evidence given in the Vedic version must be taken as foremost. Vedic versions understood directly are first class. Evidence. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu continued. Conch shells and cow dung are nothing but the bones and stools of some living entities. Uh, but according to Vedic version, they're both considered very pure. Uh, so generally, uh, bones and stool are, are considered uh, contaminated. But then, on the basis of Vedic version, uh, we see conch shells and cow dung are to be taken uh, differently. So the Vedic statements are self-evident. Whatever is stated there must be accepted. If we interpret according to our own imagination, the authority of the Vedas is immediately lost. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu continued. The Brahma Sutra compiled by Srila Vyasadeva is as radiant as the sun. One who tries to interpret its meaning simply covers that sunshine with a cloud. All the Vedas and literature that strictly follow the principles explain that the Supreme Brahman is the absolute truth, the greatest of all, and a feature of the Supreme Lord. Actually, the Supreme Absolute Truth is, is a person, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, full with all opulences. You are trying to explain him as impersonal and formless. Whenever there is an impersonal description in the Vedas, the Vedas means to establish that everything belonging to the Supreme Personality of God is transcendental and free of mundane characteristics. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu continued, whatever Vedic mantras describe the Absolute Truth impersonally only prove in the end that the Absolute Truth is a person. The Supreme Lord is understood in two features, impersonal and personal. If one considers the Supreme Personality of God in both features, he can actually understand the absolute truth. He knows that the personal understanding is stronger because we see that everything is full of variety. No one can see anything that is not full of variety. 
So this actually uh, in uh, a verse from the Chaitanya Chandradoy Natak by Kavi Karnapur. Uh, Kavi Karnapur also addresses uh, this this matter. So so it's interesting. Um, Krishidas is uh, is obviously not able. He doesn't have recordings or transcriptions of the discussion between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and uh, and Sarvambhava Bhattacharya. <laughs> Excuse me. He is only giving the explanations according to uh, then according to the the Vaishnav understanding about Mayavad conclusions uh, that he has received in Parampara. And so he is presenting arguments uh, step by step and 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 reconstructing a uh, a line of reasoning um, and that is 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 uh, is obviously uh, historical in in a broader sense it captures the the spirit of the exchange between Sarvabhava uh, and uh, Bhattacharya Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but not verbatim. Everything in the cosmic manifestation emanates from the absolute truth, remains in the absolute truth, and after annihilation, uh, and again enters the absolute truth. The personal features of the Supreme Personality of God are categorized in three cases, namely ablative, instrumental, and locative. Okay, so now we're going into a uh, explanation based on Sanskrit grammar, and uh, I'm not uh, not very uh, I'm not uh, qualified to uh, to speak on Sanskrit grammar because I'm. It's not my field, but uh, so we'll just uh, look at the purport and uh, I'll just make a note. I'll ask some Sanskrit scholars to to. Uh, comment on this. Meanwhile, I'll read the purport for you. Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur states in his Amrita Prabhavabhasya that according to the injunction of the Upanishads, the Supreme Absolute Truth is He from whom everything emanates. It is understood that the whole cosmic manifestation emanated from Brahman, the Supreme Absolute Truth. The creation subsists by the energy of the Supreme Brahman and after annihilation merges into the Supreme Brahman. From this, we can understand that the 
absolute truth can be categorized in three cases, ablative, instrumental, and locative. According to these three cases, the absolute truth is positively personified. In this connection, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati quotes the... So that's, that's the question, maybe, uh, that we want to clarify. Uh, how is it that, that, according to these three cases, the absolute truth is positively personified? Um, let me quickly... Quickly look at that. Well, it's like in the ablative, according to grammar, and now we're reading this, right? uh, it is said, denoting a case of nouns and pronouns and words in the grammatical arrangements, with them indicating an agent or source expressed by with or from in English. So that's why the ablative then is, is a form that uh, connects our words. So if Brahman comes up in terms of an ablative, then it would be uh, connect, it would be connected with something. And the words uh, it, it would uh, says words in a grammatical agreement with them indicating an agent, instrument, or source expressed by, by, with, or from in English. Um, native is the, uh, is the other case. Okay, where was I? That I remembered. I forgot the ablative. Uh, instrumental and the locative. Uh, so now the instrumental, instrumental case. Again, you know, an instrumental case is, uh, is a grammatical case used to indicate that a noun is the instrument or means by or with which the subject achieves or accomplishes an action. Uh, so again, there is, and the locative case is, let's look at the locative, locative, go. Okay, so the locative case also uh, deals with a particular uh, 
with location, obviously. I'm vaguely to the the locative case is a grammatical case which indicates a location. It corresponds vaguely to the English prepositions in, on, at, by, and so on. So, okay, all these three cases. It's a little technical what to do. We're talking about uh, impersonalism and we're talking here with, uh, with Krishidas Kaviraj using serious arguments, serious strong Sanskrit arguments, ablative case, the instrumental case, and the local case. And all three of them are indicating a relationship. They are cases of a word where it relates to a subject. And so therefore it's taken as evidence. And then there are examples given of this also in the purport. Um, and uh, when I do this later uh, in notes, it will be a little easier to, uh, when I just lay it out in a table and include it in the book. You can see the details. I think it is too much now. It was already too much, I think. Too dry, too technical. And if I go on further on such a technical note, it becomes too too, too dry. So I will, I will do this in writing and include it in a, in a table form in, the, uh, in my book. And then it's something you can see at a glance without too much, uh, yeah, without trying to hear this in, in words. Um, so I, I owe a table on CC Madia 644. Hope you're still with me. Um, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu continued. When the Supreme Personality of God had wished to become many, he glanced over the material energy. Before the creation, there were no mundane eyes or mind. Therefore, the transcendental nature of the absolute mind and eyes is confirmed. Um, so it is said in the Chandogya Upanishad 623, it is said, this statement confirms the text when the, and the Supreme Personality, uh, it says then, the statement confirms the fact that when the Supreme Personality of God it wishes to become many, the cosmic manifestation arises simply by his glancing over material energy. So, so Krishna does points out he glanced, but this is before the creation. Uh, it says before the creation there were no mundane eyes or mind or nothing. Therefore, the transcendental nature of the absolute truth, mind and eyes are confirmed. That is his point. Uh, he was glancing with eyes before the material creation. So eyes must exist in the spiritual uh, realm. Yes, the word Brahman indicates the complete personality of Godhead, who is Sri Krishna. That is the, the verdict of all Vedic literature. Mm. The confidential meaning of the Vedas is not easily understood by common men. 
Therefore, that meaning is sup supplemented by the words of the Puranas. How greatly fortunate are Nanda Maharaj. Uh, uh, the coward man and all the inhabitants of Rajabhumi. There's no limit to their fortune because the absolute truth, the source of transcendental bliss, the eternal supreme Brahman, has become their friend. Bhagavatam 10, 14, 32. Okay. Um. <clears throat> so, it is a verse, uh, and, and there's like the supreme absolute truth means Brahman. Uh, Purnam Brahman. Yeah, now it is Purna Brahma, the complete Brahman. Uh, so in this way, in this verse, Purna Brahma, the name Purna Brahma in this verse is, is pointing out that uh, the complete manifestation of the absolute truth or the perfect. Um, how greatly fortunate are Nandamars, the coward man, and all the inhabitants of Rajabhumi. There's no limit to their fortune, because the absolute truth, the source of transcendental bliss, the eternal supreme Brahman, has come their friend, has become their friend. So that's that is presented as as evidence by Krishna Das Goswami. Um, one cannot go very quick if you want to grasp it. Uh, and you see that same Supreme Brahman that they're talking about is now clearly uh, through the Puranas. That's what you say. You have to, you cannot understand the confidential meaning of the Vedas, of the Upanishad. You have to look at the Puranas. And then he points out, and the Puranas clearly point out that this, this complete, absolute truth, this Purna Brahman, is, uh, is now the friend of the residents of Vrindavan. Mm -hmm. Then he comes up with uh, other evidence. Mm. The Vedic Apanipada mantra rejects material hands and legs, yet it is stated that the Lord goes very fast and accepts everything offered to him. And this is, of course, a standard verse that the impersonalist uh, always have on the front of their tongue. Apanipadam. Um, uh, and then in the, in the next purport to text 151, it is, uh, it is explained that actually the Svetasvatara Upanishad 319 states, Apanipado javana, javano grahita pasya chakshakshu Sasrinati akarnaha saviti vedam na chatasyati vetta tamahuragyam purusam mahantam. This Vedic mantra clearly states purusam mahantam. Uh, purusham. The word purusha means person. In Bhagavad Gita 10.12, Arjuna confirms that this, uh, that this person is Krishna when he addresses Krishna as purusham shashvatam. You are the original person. Thus, Purusham Mahanta mentioned in the verse of the Sveta Satarupanishad is Sri Krishna. Uh, his hands and legs are not mundane, but are completely transcendental. Yes. So, Apanipadu Javanam Grahita, he has no hands and legs like we have. 
And we know from Brahma Samhita, Gani Yasya Sakalendriya Vritti Manti, that the functions of his senses are interchangeable. I mean, he can see with his hand if he desires so. Can hear with his hand. It's like he's not limited by the by the senses. I mean, hands and legs are part of the working senses. Five knowledge gathering senses, five working senses. So hands and legs are part of the five working senses. So then, all these mantras confirm that the absolute truth is personal, but the Mayavadis, throwing away the direct meaning, interpreted the absolute truth as impersonal. Are you describing as formless that supreme personality of God it, whose transcendental form is complete with six transcendental opulences? Hmm. Yes, so that is when we are defining Bhagavan, Aisvayasya Samagrasya Viryasya Yasasasya Jnana Vairagiyus Chaiva Sanam Bhagami Tinganam, the six opulences of the Supreme Lord, uh, all beauty, all knowledge, all strength, all renunciation, all fame, and it's always one, isn't it? Samagrasya all beauty yes all beauty anyway so like this Krishna is the uh, is the that is these are the qualities of the supreme personality of Godhead so as soon uh, if we are trying to uh, to describe the, the, the Lord as formless then he has no attributes. We cannot say that Brahman is, is having these attributes. Brahman is simply, is only Brahman. Uh, it is the, uh, this transcendence. It is, it is uh, that spiritual uh, manifestation then. It's, it's, uh, it's cons if it is described as formless. That's the point. The Supreme Personality of God, it has three primary potencies. Are you trying to prove that he has no potency? The internal potency of the Lord, of the Supreme Lord, Vishnu, is spiritual, as verified by the Shastras. There's another spiritual potency known as Ksetra or the living entity. The third potency, which is known as Nessians, makes the living entity godless and fills him with fruitive activities. <coughs> Okay. So in the following verse, we, we see this uh, described. Uh, Yaya ksetrgya shakti sa vestita nipasarvaga sansaratapan akilan avapnoti atrasan tutan. O king, the creator sakti is. The creator Gyashakti is the living entity. Although he has the facility to live in either the material or spiritual world, he suffers the threefold miseries of material existence because he's influenced by avidya, nescience, potency, which covers his constitutional position. And where is this verse? Well, it doesn't say that, but that's, 
And actually a famous verse, I think it's the Vishnu Purana, but I just double check. Uh, if it in this form comes up in... Oh, yes, yes. Okay, it says, uh, he didn't quote because he said it before. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu now quotes four verses from the Vishnu Purana. 6, 7, 61 to 63 and 1, 1, 12, 69. So there it is. Uh, so Vishnu Shakti Praptaksi Trikyakyata Tapara Vichya Karma Samgyaya Tritya Shakti Vishyate so here are the, uh, uh, and then there's there's more verses. Um, the living entity covered by the influence of Nessian exists in different forms in the material condition. O king, is thus proportionally freed from the influence of the material energy to a greater or lesser degree. The Supreme Personality of God is Sat Sit Ananda Vigraha. This means that he originally has three potencies, the pleasure potency, the potency of eternality and the potency of knowledge. Together, these are called the chit potency and they are present in full in the Supreme Lord. Uh, for the living entities who are part and parcel of the Lord, the pleasure potency in the material world is sometimes displeasing and sometimes mixed. This is not the case with the Supreme Personality of Godhead because he's not under the influence of the material energy or his modes. So now here with the Vishnu Purana as evidence, now, it is very important that uh, that statement that uh, it's not easy to understand the meaning of the Vedas properly without the Puranas, right? And, uh, and that is what we are doing here. Um, therefore, Jiva Goswami's work, who wrote the Tattva Sandarbha, is very important because Jiva Goswami, his Tattva Sandarbha, has established... Uh, the uh, the fifth Veda. Um, he is establishing uh, the uh, Puranas. Purana and the Itihasa and as Panchamam Ida. Okay, now I'm quickly looking for that. for the text. So, yes, so it is stated in the Chandogya Upanishad uh, 7.12, Itihasapanam Panchamam Vedanam. So, which established that the Itihasas or the uh, uh, historical uh, narratives such as the uh, Mahabharat and Ramayan also, that and then the Puranas, they are the fifth Veda. And, uh, and that statement from Chandokya Upanishad 7.12 is very important uh, because it is by that statement of the Chandokya Upanishad uh, that we have our evidence that the Puranas are to be read. And then we see the Puranas explain this whole Brahman as personal. Uh, Krishna's 
Kaviraj has quoted from Bhagavatam 10.14.32, the Bhagavad Purana, how greatly fortunate are Nanda Maharaj, the coward man, and all the inhabitants of Rajabhumi. There's no limit to their fortune, because the absolute truth, the source of transcendental bliss, the eternal supreme Brahman has become their friend. And, uh, and then now from Vishnu Purana, he describes that there is the living being uh, who is... Uh, is in separate potency from the Supreme Lord Vishnu. There's the Supreme Lord Vishnu, and then another potency is the living being, and the third potency is the uh, material energy, mm. and which is covering the living being, and therefore is, 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 is known as nescience, and it makes the living entity godless, and fills him with fruit of activity. But it recognizes these, these, these as separate. Huh? Vishnu para prokta, there's the living being, and there's the Supreme Lord and the living being, and the external energy, and these three are separate. And of course, that's confirmed in Bhagavad Gita. Never was there a time and I did not exist, nor all these kings. So there a distinction is made between the Supreme Lord and the kings, the saintly kings who understood transcendental knowledge in that way. So that's very important. And because all the kings on the battlefield of Kuruksetra, they were a different energy than Krishna. They were not Krishna. They were not like now to be killed and again and then after being freed from illusion and remembering their uh, original identity. No, that is certainly not possible. Uh, it's like uh, that is addressed uh, in, by uh, when we're addressing the topic of, uh, of Parinamavat. And uh, many more arguments are given by uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami. Uh, um, he speaks about the three energies, the Antaranga, Chit Shakti, the Tatasta Shakti, and the Jiva Shakti, uh, which is, and then, and then, so it says the Antaranga, the internal, is energy is the Chit Shakti, uh, that's the spiritual energy of the Lord. The Tatasta Shakti is the Jiva Shakti, which is the living beings. And the Bhairangi Shakti, the external energy, is Maya. And in this way, he describes these three energies of the Lord based on the Vishnu Purana. Uh, says, in, in his spiritual potency, the Supreme Lord enjoys six kinds of opulences, and you do not accept this spiritual potency. This is due to your great ignorance. Um, then we have, uh, in a statement where it says, the Buddhists, that's 168, the Buddhists, they do not recognize the authority of the Vedas. Therefore, they're considered agnostics. However, those who have taken shelter of the Vedic scriptures yet preach agnosticism in accordance with the Mayavad philosophy are certainly more dangerous than the Buddhists. 
Srila Vyasadeva presented the Vedanta philosophy for the deliverance of conditioned souls. But if one hears the commentary of Sankaracharya, everything is spoiled. Mayavadi basya sunile hoya sarvanasta. Hoya sarvanasa. One is not meant to hear any, uh, hear the Mayavad's commentaries or study them uh, because it, it, is, it is denying the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It is denying Krishna. It is denying devotional services. It is denying the spiritual world. It is denying the pastimes of the Supreme Lord. And it's basically everything which nourishes the devotee everything that actually brings the devotee to the point of, uh, of realizing true happiness and bliss, that is, is not, uh, that, is, that is written off as false. Therefore, uh, whereas this is, the, this is the only reason for existence, according to the understanding of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So it's not surprising, uh, it's not surprising that the, uh, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his followers are speaking out strongly against Mayavad. And it's not surprising that the Chaitanya Charitamrita is extensively dealing with the Mayavad philosophy and is uh, systematically uh, presenting arguments to defeat uh, this Mayavad. Arguments that have been uh, carefully carried forward in the uh, Sampradaya of the uh, of the uh, of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Uh, therefore the arguments that are presented here uh, are not just some arguments collected by Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami to defeat Mayavad philosophy, but these arguments are actually arguments that, um, that are ascribed to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and that are preserved. Uh, uh, in the parampara, and whether Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself quoted all arguments, or whether the Vaishnava Acharyas, whether the six Goswamis uh, came up with these arguments, or Kavikarnapur. Uh, but this is the heritage of the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So in that way, uh, Faithful to the teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the following Acharyas, uh, the six Goswamis, and, uh, and, and Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, to an extent, are the architects of, of the arguments of, uh, of the Gaudiya Sampradaya uh, to establish their position in rejecting Mayavad. Srila hmm. Bhaktisvinoda Thakur wrote a work called the uh, Mayavad Satadushini, uh, the 100 refutations 
of Mayavad, and we will also uh, later in our discussion uh, uh, take a few points from there. Then uh, this Mayavad is, is considered more dangerous than Buddhism. So both Mayavad and, and Buddhism are considered dangerous. Earlier in the, uh, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, we may recall the verse where it says that um, by the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, even an ignorant child can swim across the ocean which is filled with the crocodiles of all kinds of speculative philosophies. Um, so these, these philosophies are definitely in the crocodile category, are definitely considered dangerous. And therefore it is said, uh, one is not meant to hear uh, these philosophies. So we are not at length going to enter into studying Mayavad philosophy or Buddhist philosophy uh, because it is very extensive philosophy. Um, it is intelligent and it uh, the Mayavad philosophy is basically uh, it is appealing to the, to the very root of the living being, the root cause of the living being, being in the material world, namely his competitive spirit in relationship with the Supreme Lord, where the living being wants to be the enjoyer and the, uh, and the controller and the Lord, or basically, which causes lust and envy. Mm. So it is said, as we are freeing ourselves from the maya of trying to enjoy the material energy, then the last snare of maya is trying to be the Supreme Lord. Uh, and as we are trying to, uh, uh, yes, become uh, free, the Maya bodies are trying to become free from all ego, uh, but actually uh, they're not succeeding. Rather, they have the biggest ego because they they think that they are the, that they are God, uh, and and that of course is 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 a is is not a small thing. It's a problem. It's it's like uh, without. Uh, wanting to be judgmental, uh, but if, if an ordinary living being starts to uh, consider himself God and starts to tell everyone, you are God, right, then uh, there is a problem. Um, there's a problem. Because clearly the Vedic literature establishes that no, we are not God. We are not become, and we are not losing all personality and becoming that impersonal energy and merging into that and becoming part of that too. We are rather eternally the servant of the Lord. Always too, Madhvacharya said, eternally. 
eternally supreme Lord and eternally the servant. And that service, that is the exchange of love. And there, love grows eternally. Uh, whereas the impersonalist sees the beauty uh, of Mayavad in that he becomes free from all material suffering and therefore attains liberation and that he shares with the Buddhist whose only focus is to become free from that material suffering. Uh, then the Buddhist is going into a state of nirvana, nothingness, and the Mayavadi enters into Brahman. It is stated by our Acharyas that Nirvana, uh, Buddhists who actually realize Nirvana, they can attain the state of uh, where the three modes of material nature are completely absent. That is the closest to, uh, to something, to, to nothing existing, and the closest to nothing. So then in that state is found in the Viraja River, in the causal ocean. Uh, so the causal ocean then is situated between the material and the spiritual world. So the other day I uh, had a little discussion on Buddhism and uh, with, with a friend of mine who has uh, spent time uh, studying Buddhist philosophy. And uh, he was mentioning something. Uh, let me just also, you know, rather than quote it, let me just get it. Uh -huh. Yeah. They said there are some Buddhist sects that believe in Buddha worlds and, and paradises. Huh? And uh, so, uh, but the true Buddha world uh, is, is actually the Viraja where the three modes of material nature are completely absent. There is absolutely nothing present. Uh, whereas in Brahman, there is still the, uh, the, the Brahma Jyoti, the Brahma, the Brahm, Brahman effulgence. Plenty of Buddhists are also meditating on that effulgence but to their philosophy, they must go beyond the effulgence and enter into nirvana, where that is also not existing. And then uh, 
then the location for them, the Buddha world, so to speak, uh, is there in the Viraja, in the causal ocean. All right. I thank you very much for being with us. I've saved this topic of Mayavad because it is, uh, it's a little technical, a little dry, and, um, and there's a lot. And uh, it's, uh, I'm not going to be able to cover this in, uh, very quickly in, uh, in just one or two lectures. Uh, I'm now just doing Sarvabho and Bhattacharya. Um, I'm going to do a third lecture on this topic uh, tomorrow, and then uh, we'll take it, uh, take it a little further. And uh, uh, then we still have the, the meetings of Lord Chaitanya and Prakashananda in Kasi, which is also dealing with Mayavad and so on. So we'll be on this topic for a while. Um, thank you. Hare Krishna.